welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I am the first person to admit, and in some ways be grateful for, the fact that I'm privileged. I'm a white, middle-class woman of mostly English roots who grew up in a developed nation of mostly similar people. My guest today did not have most of those experiences. At her website, I read how many neighborhood parents wouldn't let their children play with her, how she couldn't be cast in school plays no matter how well she auditioned, how she couldn't be a cheerleader, all because of the color of her skin. Once she became semi and completely independent of those school age inequities, however, she flourished, although please don't think it was a walk in the park. I'd expand more on the how and the why and the where, but I want Madonna to tell us more herself. I will say that when I went to her website and read that she empowers students, educators, parents, and leaders to create a culture of civility and success, I wondered if I should spend this time interviewing her or figuring out how to clone her. (laughs) Madonna Hannah, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Oh, Thank you for that lovely introduction <laughs> and the cloning. I I have heard that before, so I'm going to take it as a wonderful, wonderful compliment to be cloned. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good thing. Well, then you'd make history books for more than the current reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Agnes, thank you so much for inviting me to be your guest just a few seconds ago, before this even started, it's, it seems like we've been friends forever because we were laughing. We've, we've been laughing at things. And isn't it wonderful to be able to laugh, to just meet someone you've never met before, but then connect by laughing over some very simple (laughs) and mundane things. (laughs) So I think that's a very good start. Yeah. And it's it's one of the reasons that I do always try to clarify that I am not recording when we come on because it's so nice to find a, a connection, a laugh, something. Um, and of course, okay, full disclosure, the reason we were laughing is because I repeatedly called Madonna by the wrong name. So I fixed it. Honestly, I did, folks. <laughs> And thank goodness you did. There we go. Okay, I just got a finger wag. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, where shall we start? Agnes, where do you want me to start? Okay, I'm going to go to the serious for just a moment. um, Okay. Because on on Podmatch, which is where we met, you say, thank goodness I was bullied as a child. Please explain that. 
of course, at the time <laughs> that I was that I was the only colored child <laughs> in my elementary classroom in a very conservative town south of Boston, I was not thinking about. Thank goodness, I was I was bullied. <laughs> no, for sure. I will say that, uh, thank goodness, not all the children in the classroom bullied me. There were four little white boys that made it their job from grade to grade to grade to grade, (laughs) you know, uh, to just be just mean and cruel. When you're the only one who looks like you, you just, oh, gosh, you just think this is going to last forever let me also say that in my entire elementary school there were only three colored children (laughs) I would go home and cry first of all I didn't tell my parents and a lot of kids who are bullied don't tell their parents they just don't and I was one of those children But I would just cry and cry and just ask God, like, why did you make me this color? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because uh, the children were relentless, you know, these, these boys, just, just relentless. And it just hurt so much inside. And then, oh, I've got to get up next day and go back to school. And like I said, Anybody who's been bullied, you just think this is going to last forever. When I was in junior high school, I remember an incident in gym class. Once again, I'm the only colored girl in there. Gym gym class was over, went into the locker room. My locker had been opened and my wallet was gone. While I was looking for my wallet, Two girls appeared. One of them threw my wallet back at me, was empty, and shoved me into the open locker. I weighed all of 99 pounds. (laughs) And there I was being pushed into the locker, got scratched, was bleeding, and thought, let me go tell the gym teacher about this. Agnes, I told my gym teacher, and she looked at me with these very piercing blue eyes and said, now, Madonna, those are nice girls, and they wouldn't do anything like that. Agnes, I'm scratched up. I'm bleeding. I'm crying. (laughs) Yeah. I went back to my locker. And the two girls were waiting for me. They weren't calling me the N-word this time. They were calling me, oh, you tattletale. Like, yeah, okay. So I went from the N-word to to be called a tattletale. I will say that when I was a freshman in high school, and I'm sure this experience is, is very similar, that you arrive at school on the school bus, you don't go immediately to your class. You go to your home room. But, but the cafeteria was like the holding pen <laughs> until you know, all the buses had arrived and it was time to go to home room. And I remember these, the same two students coming over and sitting at my table. 
And I was thinking, and anybody who's been bullied will know what I was going through. Like, oh gosh, these are the girls that bullied me in junior high school. And here they are acting all friendly. Oh, hi, Madonna. We're going to sit with you. And, and there's that dread inside that says they're going to be nice. Then they're going to turn mean. Because sometimes kids will do that. You know, you think, oh, they're going to be nice to me. And I'm finally going to have a friend. And then, oh, they're mean. They were nice to me. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. But they were nice to me. And my entire freshman year, they sat with me. And Agnes, I wished that I had asked them why. With like, what? happened did the gym teacher talk to them I mean like why did these two particular girls make an about face and sit with me in the mornings you know before homeroom and I wish that I had I wish that I had but I just want your listeners to know that sometimes people change You, you you don't know why but something something happened to those two girls for them to come and sit and be nice to me but I wish I I I wish I would have asked them why yeah and I mean you've just saved me the words of why would they do that how how did that happen but also now I everybody knows I come with notes maybe I need to rephrase my my next question because I was going to ask what your experience was once you reached the professional world because those children grow up and become adults. But if they've already changed as children, like what a, that's a head start perhaps, but a lot of them don't. Like what was your profession? Uh, let's just start. What were your experiences in the professional world? Like once you finished school? I was fortunate enough to be selected to be part of the management, the retail management training program of one of the largest department stores in New England at that time called Jordan Mash, which is now Macy's. Because <laughs> like all the stores are Macy's. Now, now I love Macy's, but oh, you know, stores lose their history and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Being, <laughs> I was still colored at this time. <laughs> You're still colored today. I didn't want to tell you this. <laughs> We're all a color, you know, but, but just for a frame, I wasn't, you know, because you, because you're a Negro, you're colored, you become an African-American and it's like, oh goodness, oh. you know, you're Madonna Hannah, you become Madonna Harris. Anyway, anyway, when I came in, I was a twofer at the time a female and a colored person. And, and in businesses that, you know, is kind of important, you know, like how many minorities do you have on staff? How many women do you have on staff? Um, and yes. Yeah, so, so I was a twofer. Okay. Downtown Boston. It, it was just sort of racist at, at that time. And there were customers who did not want me to assist them. I, I remember an, an incident where my sales lady came to me and said, oh, this customer has 
a situation. I, I, I was managing the young junior department at, at the time. And the customer, middle-aged, upper-class white woman, looked at me and then looked back at the sales lady and said, I want a real manager. The sales lady did not know what she was talking about. She was confused because I'm the executive in charge and she's not, she's not getting it. (laughs) Even though she's white, you know, she's not getting it, but I got it. Anyway, because I got it, I said, let me get someone to assist you. I could have picked up the phone and called one of the managers from across the floor who knew my merchandise, you know, someone from the large junior department, but I didn't. I called the assistant manager who was a white female in the hardware department. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, Oh, miss so-and-so could you come to my department? There's a customer who would like to speak with you. Of course, here she comes. The customer perked up immediately. (laughs) And I said, oh, Miss So-and-so, this customer would like to speak with you. And the customer was so happy, Agnes, she was. And she explained her problem. And as expected, (laughs) the poor, you know, assistant from hardware said, oh, ma'am, I would really like to assist you, but I don't know anything about this merchandise. And Miss Beauclair would be glad to help you because it's her department. Agnes, do you know that customer was so angry? She walked out of the department. She would not let me assist her. And as she was leaving, I said, Thank you very much for coming into Jordan Marsh. It took everything in me to say that. I went into my office. I cried for, I would give myself a three to five second cry and then pull myself back together because I was just so angry that this woman was looking at the color of my skin. And I, because I had been bullied, I had grown a thick skin so that I was not going to let her reduce me to tears Mm -hmm. or to be angry at her and and maybe call her a racist or something because how can I prove she's a racist? All she said was, I want a real manager. And because I had been through so much crap, Being bullied, I just relied on my own senses of, okay, if this is how you want to play it, okay, let's play. (laughs) Well, I think what I'm hearing here, and I'm just loving it, is the fact that you, the customer, want to be nasty? Well, watch how nasty I can be, only you just think I'm going to be charming. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's my kind of woman. It. Exactly, because like I, because I was in a precarious position. If I had not acted in a civil manner and 
the way the customer structure was in Boston, because first of all, I don't know who this woman knows in the store. She could have gone to the manager and said, well, she called me a racist or whatever. And I'm out. I'm out. Absolutely out. And not just out at that store, but out at other major department stores because everybody knows everybody anyway, because it's, it's, it's a family. Another situation that happened, I was the assistant sales manager in the new part of the store because major department stores, especially on the East Coast in the cities, there's an old part of the store that was probably built in the 20s, 30s, whatever. And then as you move into the 70s, oh, the stores are all pretty and, and renovated. In Boston at this time, the colored people worked in the old part of the stores or the basement part of the stores, <laughs> you know, but, but yet they were happy to be working at a major department store. You, you know what I mean? Even, even though, you know, it's like, yeah, we're in the old part of the store. We're in the Jordan Marsh basement or Filene's basement, but we have status because we're working at this beautiful department store. When I first came into Jordan Marsh, I was in the old part of the store. <laughs> Glad to be there. I didn't know that, you know, there was a situation with color, but I soon found out. And then I was transferred to the pretty new part of the store. And when I became a full executive, not an assistant, was given my own department, this young, the, the young juniors, the buyer was an absolute terror. I mean, she was a terror even before I got there. But she did not like having a colored, the word begins with B, you know, running her department. And she let me know. She let me know. One day, a couple of customers came in, took a blouse off a hanger, didn't put it back on the hanger correctly. It, it fell to the floor. That happens. That happens. I was on my way to pick it up. She was on her way into the department. She started yelling at me at the top of her lungs. Why is my $23 Shipley blouse on the floor? And I'm thinking, what is wrong with this woman? I, I saw her look at the customers in the, in the blouse truck. She just started calling me the N-word, the N-B-word, black this, black that. Why did the store ever hire this, you know, black B? I mean, she just went off. And I thought, I just took a deep breath. I walked over to my boss's office. And as I was walking out of my department, the buyer was still ranting, calling me names. She's leaving my department. She's walking out of my department. She's leaving my department unsupervised. You know, and you know, okay, we're on the fourth floor. This is a major department store in downtown Boston. She's on the fourth floor. She rode the escalator down each floor, ranting while she was on the escalator. You know, so the next floor is like, well, what? Well, what happened? Well, 
what, 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 what happened? She left the store still ranting, went across the street to the buyer's office. Her office was on the sixth floor. She ranted all the way up. Okay. So, so, so we know that this is a good day for gossip and everybody's all ramped up over at the executive buying offices. Okay. I walk into my boss and I say, Either transfer me to another department or I will quit today, but I am not working with that woman again. And, you know, she's on the phone like, what? Here, click. What? And and I told her what, you know, the buyer had said and, and everything. So now we've got a big mess. We've got a mess that needs to be sorted out. And And at the end of the day, Agnes, what happened was, the buyer who was responsible for the fourth largest volume for the New England stores was told that she could not visit her own department without asking for my permission first. Wow. This came about because she's a top executive who was, who didn't represent the store very well that day. Anytime you are throwing the N word around and the black B word around as you are traveling down the escalator, you know, out the door and uh, no, no. And as I found out later, I had a nice little lawsuit because there were so many witnesses as to what she had said. Cutting to the chase, we became very cordial with each other. She was actually a very, very nice person. We got to the point where one day she said to me, you're doing a good job, Madonna. Did the managers tell you that I said that? And I said, no. She goes, oh, fine. Sure. If I called you the N word again, you know, (laughs) you know, and, 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 and we laughed about it. We, we laughed about it. And uh, I think it was a couple of months after that, I left the company, you know, they've thrown a big party for me. And I remember her taking me aside and saying, Madonna, uh, are are you leaving? Because, you know, did I do anything? Did I, did I do or say anything? And I said, you know, I just looked at her because I know how far we'd come. And I said, no, no, this has nothing to do with you. But I thought, oh my gosh. You know, but, you know, she started to get nervous, you know, <laughs> you know, when people say, like, you know, going back and, okay, did I say, is she leaving because, me? you know, but no, no. So, you know, here are two examples of how I, you know, handled myself, you know, in the business world where, thank goodness, I was bullied because I had the thick skin knew how to take a deep breath and handle myself so I could represent myself so that I could continue to work in an industry that I loved, you know, and, and, and sometimes people don't have that self-control because when I eventually became a fashion marketing teacher, I would share these stories with my students. And of course, you know, kids are, well, I would have hit her. I would have punched her out. Because that's that's how they think you handle things. Because, it, well, weren't you angry, Mrs. Hannah? Well, of course I was angry. 
But it's very important to realize your role of being a professional and handling yourself and knowing the consequences of what's going to happen to you. Because I have to remember the color of my skin and I'm not hitting anybody because I just wouldn't have another job in the retailing industry, the fashion industry. And I said, and, and I wouldn't be your teacher standing here today teaching you this lesson about tolerance and, and how you have options and consequences and how you handle yourself when you find yourself in, in a situation like that when somebody's angry or racist and they're coming at you. You know, I, I really do believe that kids and uh, some young adults need to tap things down, think, and come up with another solution besides hitting someone. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that hitting somebody is the correct response all the time. <laughs> but it, it's, I'm only listening to your story. I, I have not lived your experiences and thinking that I have got to rise so far above the circumstances exactly. because that other person will be allowed to sink into the depths that she, he has sunk, you know, that that's yeah. forgiven. But in order for me to just to break even, you've got to go that much more. Exactly. Exactly. I could have stood in that department and argued with her. Oh, don't call me names and this, this and that. And oh my gosh, you know, of course that would have escalated it into a real mess and she outranks me, you know, but to be able to take a deep breath and walk away, walk into my boss's office and calmly say with just this tone in my voice, (laughs) two things, get me out of that department, put me in another one or I'm quitting. And my boss already knew what kind of a worker I was, you know, very competent, this and that. So she knew something big had to be up. And plus, she also knew about the temperament of this buyer. Everybody knew what her her her, her temperament was. You know, she was always going after people. There were always stories of her going after people and just cutting them down. You know, that was that that was her MO. Yeah. But I wasn't going to put up with the name calling and just the ugliness that she spewed out. She was spewing out her feelings, you know, and I, I, I just wasn't going to put up with that. Yeah. So, you know, and it, you, you can't just even from the stories you've told so far, you, you can't say once a bully, always a bully. In her case, it would appear once a bully, always a bully. Mm-hmm. The other two girls, at least for whatever reasons came around. Now, how did your experiences affect your career in the classroom in terms of bullies do seem to be almost everywhere? Unfortunately, they are, and they still are. When my husband decided to move west to Tacoma, Washington, because he came out here to visit, friend, there's less snow, (laughs) because of course, New England. 
<laughs> oh, lizards. They're shoveling snow. And, oh, my goodness. And he thought, we're going to move to Tacoma, Washington. And, and, and I was like, what? You know, me working in the fashion industry in Boston. And I also would work in New York sometimes, too. You know, everybody felt sorry for me, Agnes, because at first when I said, oh, I'm moving to Washington, they said, oh, you going to D.C., girl? Ooh, you know, that's exciting, you know? And, and, and no, the state of Washington, then people started to pity me. <laughs> they go, oh, my gosh, it rains and there's farmers up there. There's no fashion, you know? It's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> there will be soon. <laughs> you know? Poor Madonna. When I when when I came to the state, I thought, okay, I can get a job at a retail store. You know, sure, I've, I've got I've, I've got the you know management background, and I decided, oh, stores are run differently on the West Coast than they are in the East Coast, and I'll just drop it at that. <laughs> they're more laid back. They're they're more laid back. You know, Boston, New York. Come on. So, you know, you're two seconds over your break. Rent them up. You know, yeah, that's how, yeah, that, 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 that's how things were. I thought, well, I, I saw an opportunity to teach fashion marketing. You know, it's like, oh, here's an ad. We need a fashion marketing teacher. Like, oh, gee, I can do that. You know, let me, let, let me look at that. And I became a fashion marketing teacher there are uh it's you know vocational education and uh there were some you know you have to take classes and become certified and all that sort of thing because I didn't go to school to become a teacher you know but okay here here we are and I thought you know what kids aren't gonna bully anybody in my classroom because I remember what it was like being in classrooms where kids, you know, because bullying is in, it's um, insidious. The first couple of days of school, I would go over the, the the school policies. You know, most teachers I find the very first day, especially the academic teachers, boom, they're right. The first day they're right into, okay, math, English, whatever, 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 after they take role. Coming out of, I'm going to say corporate America, because I work for a national corporation too in the fashion industry. I want to, I want to find out what I've got because everybody's going to become part of a team who's going to reach a goal because that's how I'm trained to, what do you have? Find out this person's strength and weakness and okay, everybody's going to be on board and we're going to reach a goal. So that, that's my mindset. Went through all the policies, procedures, you know, for the school uh, and for the district. And then my own, my, my own rules, which was one, civility. People will say, please, thank you. Excuse me. Everybody will listen to everybody else. And nobody is going to bully anyone. No one. Nobody's going to be swearing in the classroom or outside my classroom door. No. And I just briefly explained to the students, I was bullied. I know what it looks like. You're not going to get away with it in here. If anybody says something and then says to me, 
oh, I was just joking. I'm going to say, no, you weren't. You meant what you said. You didn't mean for me to hear it, but you meant what you said. You know, they're like, dang, <laughs> you know. And of course, there's always kids that are going to try. There's always kids that, you know, it's like, ah, yeah. She doesn't mean it. Oh, yeah. They found out that I meant it. <laughs> when, you've, when you've got a person like myself with an East Coast background of staring some kid, <laughs> some teenager, right in the eye, because, like, they have no idea of the crap that I went through, not just in school, but, you know, just that, you know, there's way more stories than what I've told you. But when you've been through that kind of stuff with kids and then with adults, a teenager is nothing to me to <laughs> look them in the eyes. You know what I mean? And say, oh, you didn't believe me, kid. This is how it's going to be. Oh, I was just joking. No, you weren't. You just didn't mean for me to hear it. Not again, not in here. This is an elective class. Doors over there. What's your choice? You know, if you want to go in the fashion industry, you want me to assist you with a work ethic. And in fact, I did say that to a young man that I knew, oh, he just had it to be in sales. And, and, you know, with me being good in sale, oh, this was the place for him. But he was a horrible bully, horrible bully. And it just got too much fun at it. I just said, uh-uh, no, not in here. I can tell that you're going to be really good in sales and I can help you. I can help you make a lot of money as a salesman. But you're going to have to make a choice. You stay in this class. And you don't bully anybody or the doors over there because this is an elective class. Don't need you cheating people out of an opportunity to learn. And that's what I would tell my students. I will not allow anybody in here to cheat their classmates out of an opportunity to learn because this is a school. I'm in charge from bell to bell. <laughs> I'm in charge. You know, they like, Dang, you know, well, dang, I gotta say that <laughs> I think our listeners know that we can see each other. And when Madonna was talking just now, she leaned into her camera. She scared me and I live, I don't know, a couple hundred miles from her. <laughs> uh, well, but I mean, that's how I operated. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's what I was used to doing because when you're in charge of people and you know you're expected to make money to motivate them to make money to meet the day-to-day -day figures and all this and that you know to get the troops moving forward well you know you just I'm just direct like that and teenagers understand like this woman is not kidding and Within, I'm going to say within about two weeks, you know, everybody was like whipped into shape, you know, because they will test you. They will continue to test. And it's like, okay, go ahead. I mean, this is, this is the easy stuff for me <laughs> compared to what, working in Boston, New York? I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, you know it, it, it really was like a piece of cake. And uh, eventually, everybody would. Everybody was on board, 
you know, to the point that there were teachers who would, uh, well, Madonna, this student is in my class, but, and they don't do any work, but in your class, they're they're, they're on task. They're scared not to turn work in. (laughs) Well, it's as you've been talking, I'm thinking that what you're basically saying without saying it is, you may be the bully, but I have the power. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I'll tell you something, Agnes, oh, over the years, the kids who were like the notorious bullies in school signed up for my class. And I was like, what is, you know, okay, they, you know, and I would go over the bullying things and, and even kids that I had seen bullying other kids during passing time, I would say something. I would like, ah, wait, no, no, that's no, that's, that's not happening. That no, no, stop. Oh, I wasn't doing anything. Yes, you were, you know, like, I mean, I remember this senior guy on the football team. I mean, he's like as huge, like a mountain. And sometimes, you know, freshmen come in all sizes And it seemed like he was always picking on a freshman boy who looked like maybe he was still in the fifth grade. You you, you know what I mean? You know, and you know, when he had this little one up, scaring his kid. And I was like, put him down. Uh Uh-uh. No. Oh, I was just, no, no, leave him alone. You know, and, and, and that poor freshman, you know, he's like, Oh, nothing was happening because he's scared of this big kid. And, you know, and now this big kid is scared of me, you know, and, and I said, oh, and what, what was really interesting, Agnes was after my class, because this kid was not in my class, the mountain kid after class, he walked by my classroom door and then he came back and he said, Miss Hannah, you're not going to tell the football coach what I did with that kid, are you? <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh. See, he was thinking about it. He was thinking about it that whole class period because I didn't yell at him. I just said, uh-uh, no, this isn't happening. Put that kid down, you know? But, but he thought about it. And then he uh, wound up <laughs> in my second semester career class. And, and you know, he walks in. Hi, Miss Hannah. And I said, hi. Oh, so you're going to be in my class. Oh, okay. I said, you know the rules? And he's there, yeah, Miss Hannah. You know, I didn't have to say about, about bullying, you know, because we had already had that little run-in. And uh, there were a couple of other guys that I had a, a run, not a run-in with, but like, uh-uh, and there they were. And I thought, how interesting. And, uh, you know, I know that these guys make really good leaders and they know how to motivate and persuade people. <laughs> they do, <laughs> They do, you know, and I would talk to them about that. Use your powers for good. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, and and along the way, I did create uh, some anti-bullying projects. One, a fashion show called Flights of Fancy that uh, the regular red students, my regular red fashion students taught special needs students how to model. And we put on this big, splashy fashion show. You know, I talked into it like, okay, 
you guys aren't going to be in the fashion show, but the special needs kids are. This is going to be such a wonderful opportunity. And there are kids like, well, I don't like special needs people. Why? Because they're scary and they drool. And I said, you don't know some regular folks who drool and they're scary. And then somebody said, well, we saw Darnell drooling the other day. You know? <laughs> And, and, uh, and, you know, and so-and-so is scary and they don't have special needs. I said, well, you know, and, you know, we had to have that conversation and, uh, oh, that just turned out to be such a wonderful, wonderful project received awards and some white house recognition. But what came out of that was if my students saw any special needs student being bullied, they, they, uh, they put a stop to it. Whether it was an adult, one student told me he was on the city bus and and an adult was making fun of a special needs person on the bus. He stood up and said, you're an adult and you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, that's, you know, wonderful. But that's just kind of one of the things that came out of one of the many projects that 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 I developed. I want to ask you one more question before we move on from bullying. If we boomer women have children in our lives, they're probably our grandchildren and we are tenaciously protective of them. What can we say to any children in our lives that might be being bullied? There's, there's a couple of things that, especially parents, and if you're a grandparent raising a child, I Firmly believe that, one, you need to go online and find out what the school district's bullying policies are. Then you need to meet with the teachers. Because you're going meet, to meet, meet them anyway, PTA night, parent-teacher night. And even before that, you can even email them. Ask them, how do you handle bullying situations in your classroom? A lot of parents don't think to even ask teachers that, but, but ask them if there is a situation, how do you handle it? How is it resolved? What do you do? So if my child is a, is bullied, or if my child is a bully, how do you handle that? Okay. Cause a lot of times parents come in and uh, the principal, counsel, whatever, will say, well, you know, are you aware of our policy? Well, no, I never went online, but no, know what's going on with the school and with the teachers. Also, know who your children's friends are, because sometimes they're bullied by their friends and, and, and you don't know that, Okay. Another thing is to ask your child what what went on in school. Ask them about the children that are in the classroom. Is there anybody that you really, really like? Is there anyone that you kind of stay away from? Oh, who's that? Just have those conversations with your child so that you at least know what's going on. And another thing, too, is that if you were bullied, share it with your child and ask them, what would you do if you were bullied? Who would you talk to? Would you tell me? Would you stick up for a child who was being bullied? Like, what would you do if you saw it? Have those conversations with your children. And lastly, teach your child empathy. 
let them know not not everybody is like you, you know, people are different, be tolerant, that that sort of thing. Yeah, good good points. Yeah, and interesting some of them like going online is like it's so simple to do. And a lot of people just want to deal with the immediate without sort of stepping back and saying, Okay, like let's check out what's going on on the big picture before we sort of zone in on the, mm-hmm. the here and now. Okay, I am gonna move on. As a midlife woman, you have had an experience that many boomer women have experienced or will experience, and another experience or a set of experiences that too few boomer women will never experience. So um, <laughs> I'm going to go in chronological, or- chronological order. At age 57, you became an elite athlete. <coughs> well, <laughs> I'm not elite, <laughs> but uh, yes, I was just washing dishes one day and it just came over to me to run a hundred meters. I'm like, what? It was so overwhelming, Agnes. I couldn't shake the feeling. I mean, as a child, I watched the Olympics played hundred meters out in the backyard. My high school didn't have a track team for girls and the retailing school I went to certainly didn't have <laughs> a, a, a track team. So, you know, I just went into the fashion industry but at the age of 57, it was this overwhelming feeling. Maybe it was just a little sprinter seed from watching the Olympics. My husband had track experience. I said, hey, you know, I want to run 100 meters. He was my coach. He trained me. I entered the uh, 2011 Washington State Senior Games in the 50 and the 100 meters. Won, it, won two gold medals. I did was... I just ran in a straight line as fast as I could. That's the only thing, because it was on a whim. You know, I, it's going to be like one and dumb. Yeah, let me just try this. And when I won, all these ladies were so happy for me. And they said, you need to compete again next year so that you can go to nationals. I'm thinking, nationals? I mean, I just came out here. I felt like Forrest Gump, like run for, you know, and he's running. My husband and I went to the nationals. That turned out to be a fun experience. Tried, kept, kept running, ruptured my Achilles. I believe I was 62 at the time. I ruptured my Achilles racing. Oh my gosh, I'm racing. And then I hear this loud pop. I thought the starter's gun was going off again, but I thought, no, we're already running. That was my Achilles. And like everybody heard it. Everybody heard it. And uh, I'm squirming in my chair here. It's just like, oh, I have sympathetic parts. And it was severe. You know, I went to a surgeon. He, you know, he was a little testy. You know, he said, uh, well, you know, your MRI showed one thing. But when I got inside, it was even worse. And you have small calves. Like, well, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. And you're probably not going to run again, not the sprinter. You won't have the explosive speed. Okay. Went through rehab. (laughs) And about two years after that, I thought in, in 2017, let me just give this a shot. Let me just see if I can. And my, and that was my husband's first bout of cancer too in 2017 Got a gold medal in the 50 and the 100. And I thought, okay, we're back in business. We're back in business. Yeah, yeah, we're going to compete, go to nationals and stuff. And that was the plan. And as you know, in life, you make plans and plans change. 
my husband's third bout of cancer was uh, in uh, 2018, in the fall of uh, 2018. And he was going in for surgery, was supposed to take four hours. Doctor was out in two. The cancer had advanced and he said uh, he made a choice. Uh, He could have taken all the cancer out. My husband would have had one day to live, but sewed him back up and said, you know, he'll have about two or three weeks. Then you can make plans. You know, you can, uh, and, uh, you know, he was in a hospice situation and uh, his last request for me was to continue to run because our, plans was to go to the national senior games 2019 in albuquerque new mexico but he said continue to compete i thought okay i'm going to need a new coach to do that (laughs) you know and of course some time had passed from november you know it wasn't like oh i ran out and got another coach but after you know things were settled i was looking for a coach uh, there was an opportunity with two boomer coaches, but they were busy. And that second boomer coach said, I know somebody and I, I, I know someone that could help you out. May I give him your number? She told me about him. World-class athlete. He's the elite athlete. He's on team USA track and field 400 meter specialist, Marcus Chambers. In high school, he was the state champion. He was the national champion in high school. And he went to the junior Olympics twice in high school, came back with gold medals in the 400, went on to the University of Oregon, the track school, collegiate uh, champion, NCAA, All-American, Pac-12. That's my scout. There's no point in getting just any coach. You know that. No. No, and he's a millennial. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, when I retired from teaching in 2012, I was teaching millennials. Now a millennial is coaching me. In life, you never know what's going to happen. You make plans. You know, when my husband went into the hospital, he was telling me what he wanted for Thanksgiving dinner, and then he didn't make it to Thanksgiving, you know? And then here I am. I just need a coach for a couple of months just just to help me, you know, complete something that my husband and I were going to do together. Okay. I did not win any medals in Albuquerque, but I ran faster. And I had only worked with Marcus for about uh, four and a half months. And I thought, wow, I'm running even faster. And then there was another race the next month. And he said, well, let's go. Let's continue. You know, I'll, I'll coach you through this. And now two years later, <laughs> he still, he is, he is still my coach as, as he is pursuing his dreams. He competed in the Olympic trials. And this is, this, this is another thing about plans. I know as boomers, we have plans, you know, you're married to somebody and you, you know, it's going to be forever, you know, till death do you part. And then things happen unexpectedly. Marcus trained five years and a month before the Olympic trials, he had a situation where he had a slightly injured his legs. 
and a slight injury to your leg when you're going, you know, for the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And he competed, did not go on to the Olympics. So even, you know, when you're young, you know, boom, life can change. Just, you know, you just have these plans and there's a wrench thrown in and it's how you handle yourself when you, when you go through it, just like me, all of a sudden realizing what I'm going to be a widow in three weeks. And then here with Marcus five years, month before my legs are muscles are injured. What? Anyway, the, the day of my big Washington state race was the day that Marcus thought he was going to be in Japan but he was coaching me instead. And there's a lesson there that when you're going through something, you can have your little pity party, but it's best to get out there and help somebody. Even with me being a widow, you know, I've been, I've been assisting people in so many different ways, you know, because it helps you to go through it, it really does when you can reach out and be a rainbow to somebody and just say, what can I do for you here? Let me help you out because I have all these different skills, all these different gifts that I can use to help you. And it, and, and it was, you know, it's the same thing with Marcus because uh, uh, as he is helping me to be a faster sprinter and yes, <laughs> two gold medals. I mean, he wasn't in Japan, but his athlete got two gold medals. Plus I'm still running faster, wow. you know? So through the ruptured Achilles, you know, when the surgeon said, eh, you're 62, you're not running again. You know, I'm 68 now and wow. And I'm running even faster. And uh, there were just so many, there's, there were so many, so many, so many things you can do. And, and I will tell you that uh, when Marcus first became my coach, I was like, oh, I don't want him to be my coach anymore because I'm doing all these different drills that I've never done. I don't know if I can do it. And I had a negative attitude about it, but I didn't tell him. But because of my background and everything and everything I've been through, it's like, suck it up, Madonna. You know, I mean, you know, I don't, <laughs> because that's what I would tell somebody. And I have told people like, what? This is doing what? 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 There's a problem? In production, okay, we got to suck it up and find a, you know, find a solution, you know, and that's, you know, things like that have happened. So I'm talking to myself, suck it up. You wanted a coach. This kid is showing you, you know, he is an expert. He's got the best people in the world showing him what to do and he's sharing it with you. Come on. And and so, yeah. He, yeah, he, he is single-handedly paying you back for all the millennials that you helped guide over the years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's enjoying himself. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I, can't, I, can't, I can see why. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Even talking to yeah. you for a little while is uh, is just a treat. So I was actually going to just mention, and I'm sorry for the loss of your husband. It, it is something that so many boomer women do experience. Um, how many years were you together? We were married for 42 years and went together for another two, you know, two and then the, the, the 42. And like I said, it was just, you know, you're walking into the hospital. Just, oh, okay. This is his third bout of cancer. Know what to do. You know, in yeah. my mind, I was going through, 
okay, this is the third time. This is what I'm going to do because I'm the caregiver and okay. And I'm just planning in my mind what is going to have to be done, you know, because I knew that there was probably going to be radiation and chemo. He wouldn't like it, you know, and yet this is what is going to have to be done. That's, that's what I'm thinking about the aftercare. What can I do different this time that I didn't do before or what I've learned? Anybody who's been a caretaker, you know how, oh my gosh, you do this and that. And the uh, person you're taking care of is, you know, spends a lot of time in bed sleeping, you know, they're, they're weak. And then just when you want to lay down and just, they're up like, what? Why are you up? Or I thought I could catch a nap or something, you know, and it's like, oh, and then there were those impossible times when you're just, I just don't know what to do. You're just tired. You don't want to be angry at them because they can't help their behavior. And yeah, yeah. And I was just, just, I was, I was just going through all that in my mind, how I was, how, how I was going to take care of him. Yeah. So were you still running and like, at that point in time, did running help you either get through it or sort of come around afterwards? Because there would be so many life adjustments. It would have it, it it would have been afterwards because my track meet that got me into the nationals we had already gone through that. It was it was earlier that year in in July, and he had not been feeling well, but he was you know still my coach still there uh assisting me and and agnes i even thought that you know i just i i just thought because because you think you know before you sign the papers for hospice and you realize that yeah this is it you know i just said to him if this isn't what you want to do, there's New Mexico, you know, hope, you know, thinking that that would motivate him to want to go through the chemotherapy, to go through the radiation and, and not, you know, just go to the, go, go to the hospital, you know, just hang on, just, you know, I, I figured that would buoy him up. You, you, yep, you know what yep, I mean? Yep, yep. And, and he just, no. I know. I apologize. I did not mean to pull the scab off of anything. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. Because by me saying it, it's probably somebody that needs to hear it because they're going through something. But I just thought that, yeah, you know, because this is what we had planned to do. But, but like I said, once someone makes that decision that, been through the chemo, been through the radiation, and I just don't want to do it anymore. And 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 that 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 was his decision. But it was you compete, you go, and it was okay. That's what I'm going to do. And then, like I said, after everything was settled, then it wasn't until February that I was you know ready to get back out on the track because I got to get ready <laughs> for uh, the competition in June. And then, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, when Marcus and I started teamed up and still a team. All, all just the respect that comes out of both sides of that. It's probably a, a really good takeaway right there for listeners. 
Madonna, I asked you to be a guest based on your later in life adventure in running and because you have first experience, first-hand experience with the loss of a longtime spouse. I don't want to gloss over your experiences as a woman of color living in North America these last six decades. Please share any experiences that you want to share. But can you give us boomers some thoughts on how to be in our increasingly intercultural, intergenerational, interfaith, and many gendered communities? I'm going to say to step step out of your comfort zone. If you're used to being around the same people all the time, step out and do something something new. And to be more accepting of people. Just because someone has purple and green and orange hair and way too many tattoos, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person and they shouldn't be judged. Like, ooh, you know, ooh. I know from being judged by the color of my skin and and stereotypes, you know, it's like, get get to know the person. Stop, Stop being so judgy and hypocritical. Get to know people in different generations, different walks of life. You can do that by joining various clubs. Go to different restaurants. Just just go to a, a restaurant and have some Jamaican food. I think most people are used to a, a, Italian and Chinese, but try something different. Just, you know, it doesn't matter if you go and you don't like the food. At least you tried something different. Right now, I'm in a play because I, I do act also. <laughs> And there are, are you like, of course she does. Of course she does. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, like, what you know, and of course I'm, and, uh, and I'm a toast, toastmaster. And I've been in, uh, I was the 2015 semifinalist in the uh, international toastmasters uh, speaking <laughs> contest. I know, I know. It's, you know, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I'm having a fabulous second act. I am. I am. Because sometimes I think and I go, is this me? But, but, but anyway, just look to join and look to join, but not judge. I know that growing up in Boston, whether you were black or white, if you saw an interracial couple, if you were black, like, mm. and if you're white, it would be, mm. Just embrace it. That's their business. It's, it's none of your business. If 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 some you know you're walking down the street, you know it's that that's none of your business. And I think that that's where things start to to just realize that people need to live their own lives, just like you're living your own life. But but try to live more of your best life. You get out there and, and, and learn things. Don't think you are too old to learn. Because I've heard people say that. Well, I'm old and I'm set in my ways. Like, well, okay. 
And now you're sitting home by yourself or with your same friends complaining about the same things. As long as you complain about the same things and do the same things, you are not moving forward. You're not making your life more interesting. You are not sharing your gifts. And there are people out there, so many people out there who can be sharing their gifts, whether they love to cook, sew, dance, get out and share that with someone else. Go to a local school and see if you can read to children or just get out there and do some volunteer work and stop judging people. (laughs) Okay. So... I have a line up here that says, Madonna, before we wrap today, your bio also said you believe seniors can live an exciting big life, air quotes. And I think you just told us what that big life was. <laughs> oh, that- oh, God. How, how much more fun can I have? I'm uh, in a play. Oh, yes. okay. no, no, this is the, this is another lesson. I'm in a play right now, uh, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. And I am the mother of a little white boy. And when the cast had to share things about themselves, I said, this role is very important to me because the high school that I went to, and you had mentioned it before in, 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 in the setup, I was good. I was good at, uh, at, at auditioning and, and acting. And I purposely would try out for a part <laughs> where I, you know, somebody's mother, girlfriend, daughter, whatever, knowing that I was not going to be cast. I did it anyway because I knew I wasn't going to be cast, but darn it, I was going to do it anyway. And the director took me aside one day and said, Madonna, you're good, but I don't have the guts. I don't have the guts to fight the fight of casting you in an interracial role in in an extremely conservative white town. I don't have the guts to do it, but I can have you do other things. You can MC, you know, get out there, greet people during intermission, come in. And I always respected that about him. You know, you, you, you find me having this role like 50 years later, <laughs> you know, I'm the mother of this little white boy in the 1930s <laughs> in uh, Midwestern America. And it's just, I'm his mother. And the color of the skin has got nothing to do with it. I am his mother. And we've, we've been in a play before. And, and when he found out that I was going to be his mother, it was like, Madonna's going to be my mother. <laughs> you know? And he told his parents. And his, and his happy white parents were like, oh, honey, that's so wonderful. You know, and when I see his parents after the rehearsal, you know, I said, oh, our son did a really <laughs> wonderful job. But, you know... But it means so much to me, Agnes, because it's like, finally, it's okay to have my color skin and to have a little white boy. (laughs) And he's my son. And it's just we're acting 
And color's got nothing to do with it because it's a mother and son thing. And it's, you know, there's no long conversation. Well, Madonna's black and the kid is white. You know, is the audience going to get there? You know, there's no conversation. It's. I was just more concerned that a woman your age was having a small child. Well, come on. <laughs> no, you look fabulous. I mean, you look yeah, like that, you 38. See, and, that's another, <laughs> and that's another thing too, Agnes. I can't play roles my own age. I'm always 35, 40 to 50. That's what I have to put down. 35, 40 to 50. Yeah. Perfect yeah. skin. Perfect hair. Yeah. No wrinkles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. They, you know, so many people are like stunned. You're what? You're, what? Yeah, but but I I yeah I I've got to play like one time I oh gosh you know they're looking for like an old aunt you know and uh, I made it to uh, the, the the callbacks and there were all these short white gray haired ladies and then there was me and I said you know why did the director do this I know. No, no, I, I can deliver a line, but no, no. And these ladies are my age. No, no, no. Well, I was, I've been thinking actually, as we've been talking that, you know, it's a really good thing that you're as much fun as you are because you look so good. You'd be easy to dislike. (laughs) Oh dear. Madonna, there's a kajillion things I would ask you about if we all, if we had all day, but unfortunately we don't. I will ask you if there's anything I haven't asked you that you would like to say to boomer women. Anything is absolutely possible. You know, if you've lost a a loved one that hurts, but don't let it be the rest of your life. You know, you can still celebrate that person's life by moving forward and living your life and sharing, you know, share your skills and talents with someone else. Don't, don't dwell in the past, but just get out there, share, live your life. Life, life is a gift. Life is an absolutely beautiful gift. Unwrap it, share it, you know, be like, you know, just be that person who's giving people the gift of you so that you can empower them, inspire them and motivate them and have them move toward their goals and dreams. Perfect. You have a website. Where do people find you online? My website is dropkickthedrama.com. And you can follow me on Instagram. That's where like the racing stuff is. And that's Madonna. It's, um, Madonna, fit, fast, and fabulous. <laughs> of course it is. That's great. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. And then there's Facebook, Madonna, B as in boy, Hannah. I had no idea how many Madonna Hannahs there were in the world. <laughs> I thought it was just me. I've had that problem too. Yes. <laughs> you know, but make sure to put that B in there. Madonna, B, B, B. Hannah and uh, you know follow me follow, follow me you know my coach is getting ready getting me ready for the national senior games 
May in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, yeah, yeah, just follow me and enjoy the fun. Enjoy your life. And I'm sure it is fun. That's great. Make sure you send me all those links, please. I will. Um, and I'll make sure they're in the show notes. Listeners, my guest today is way more accomplished than we had time to hear about. She is an example to us all, and I encourage you to visit her website and learn more. And follow her at all those links that are in the in the show notes. <laughs> if you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you listen to podcasts or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would, there's an application form at the website too. Madonna Hannah, thank you so much for being on podcast today, for being my guest. You are such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. And let me remind you, Agnes, as soon as I click off here, I'm off to the track to practice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, have fun and have a great rest of week. Okay, thank you. It was a pleasure, Agnes.